You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 426 of this podcast. Today is... Friday, July 8th, 2022. And in this episode, I want to talk about a few miscellaneous sundry things that were sent to me recently. And I am amused. And also, I think there's opportunity here for us to think uh, more deeply, to think more intentionally about the subject matter. Essentially, this is of a piece with an upcoming episode I'd like to do about two documentaries, one being Eve in Exile, based on a book by a certain Rebecca Merkel, who is the wife of a certain Ben Merkel, who is the president of New St. Andrews College, and also she is daughter of Doug Wilson. She is a daughter, she is a sister, she is a wife, she is a mother, she is a woman, and she writes a book. And my wife recently, in the past several weeks, read that book and then was interested in watching the documentary that was based on it or was an adaptation of it, if you will. And so we did. My wife asked, hey, would you like to watch this with me? I said, yeah, that sounds really cool because she had been while she was reading the book, sharing quotes from it. And they were good quotes. I don't know that I'll ever get around to reading the book myself, but I enjoyed the documentary and I enjoyed the quotes that my wife shared with me. I thought that they were very insightful and helpful and instructional and revealing. But there's also another documentary in a similar vein, prompted by similar trends in society, by a certain Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire. Matt Walsh is a political and social commentator and somewhat of a controversial figure, uh, to put it mildly. But he did a documentary called What is a Woman? in which he went around the world asking people, what is a woman? He literally went and spoke with a tribe of Maasai in Africa and asked them what they think of whether a man can become a woman, whether a woman can have the parts of a man, whether a man can act like a woman, what do you do when a a man acts like a woman, uh, et cetera, et cetera, things like that. And he was was chuckled at, uh, shall we say, by these Maasai tribesmen. But I don't want to do a review of what is a woman, just yet. I haven't watched the full documentary. I watched little bits and pieces of it. There again, my sons were watching the documentary. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I really enjoyed what I watched thus far. And yet on another level, I groan because this seems like such a, well, it seems like such a sad statement on where we're at that we don't know what a woman is. Is there any such thing as a woman, do they exist? 
If so, how can we know when we encounter one? Well, I happen to have it on good authority, and I am convinced myself that my wife is a woman, for instance. So I'll start there, and I'll also start with something my wife, who is a woman, sent me on Instagram. And this is a series of uh, several slides which appear to be uh, screenshots of a tweet or a, a Twitter thread, I guess they call them, uh, in which a woman by the name of Jada Danielle is sharing her thoughts on how society relates to women right now. And I'll just read these for you because I think this is important for us to grapple with. Women make up half of society. Uh, they don't make up half of my household. I've got seven sons and one daughter and only one wife. And then there's me. Uh, so we're pretty lopsided, pretty boy heavy, uh, seven to one ratio. But nevertheless, uh, women are very important. All of my sons, I hope and pray, will grow up and find uh, good women to marry. I think that's very, very important for their long-term happiness, success. Uh, it just It's very, very important. And it's important, therefore, that we think rightly about women. I want my sons to think rightly about women. I want my wife to think rightly about herself. I want my daughter to think rightly about herself. So without further ado, Jada Danielle writes, if a woman decides to become a teacher, she is told she has the most important job in the world. She is told she is training up the next generation, that she is raising up scientists, doctors, and artists, that her work is noble, sacrificial, and priceless. But if another woman decides to be a stay-at-home mom and gives her next 20 years to the teaching and training of her own children, she is told she is limiting her potential. Do you work or do you just stay at home, she is asked. She too is training up the next generation. She too is raising up doctors, scientists, artists. Her work is likewise noble, sacrificial, and priceless. But because she works within her own home, she is often pitied as someone who clearly doesn't have big enough dreams. Cheers to the mothers who know that the gift of time with our children is worth far more than worldly accolades or even a salary. Cheers to the mothers who realize that 20 years is so microscopic in the span of eternity. Cheers to the mothers who hear the lies of society and smile to themselves. Think what you want. We know what we're doing. <laughs> that is, that's great. That's great. Hats off to you, Jada Danielle. I see in the tiny little itsy bitsy uh, profile picture embedded in the tweet, uh, it looks as though this is a, a woman who is a mother with one, maybe two, I can't quite make it out, uh, children on her lap. And then, of course, two, uh, you've got 
a little bit of a background to give decoration behind these uh, tweets in the Twitter thread. And it's children's books, coloring and activity. And I see ages four to eight, and I see some storybook, and uh, it's very pretty. It's very attractive. And I like books, and I like when there are, are pictures of children's books. I, I even like pictures of books because <laughs> uh, when I see pictures of books, there's a statement of value uh, ascribed to books by those who are sharing pictures of said books. Books are very important, and also it's very important that we would expose our children to books. So this is just a lot of win. Uh, cheers to the mothers. Indeed, I agree. Another interesting bit of social media content I ran across just last night, actually, was shared to Facebook by a friend of mine who I used to work with. Uh, he actually beat me out for a job. We both applied for and interviewed for the same job internally. Uh, the, the same position was uh, open to both of us for plant manager, and he ended up getting it. And uh, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> uh, Scott was the right pick for that job, and it worked out for the best. Uh, God knows what he's doing, certainly. But he shared this meme on Facebook, and it looks to me as though this is a tweet of a screenshot of something from Reddit. Uh, you know, I don't spend a great deal of time on Reddit, but this looks like uh, this is from Reddit. Uh, I'll be honest. Leftist women discover traditional marriage is the caption. If in fact this was uh, tweeted out, which is it's just so funny, just as an aside, it's so funny to me. How many steps removed are we from original content? Uh, if... <laughs> I I am telling you on my podcast about what I saw on Facebook, which was a screenshot of a tweet, which itself was a screenshot of something someone found on Reddit. Uh, several steps removed, I suppose, from whoever it is that originally shared this. And nevertheless, it uh, tickled me. And I will read it for you. Quote, me and some of my girlfriends did a retreat this weekend to help us cope with the monumental setback in fundamental rights. By the end of it, we had moved from sad and afraid to angry. And she's even got the little emoji with the red face and the angry eyes. We all agreed to a pact. No having sex with any men until he had proven himself a capable provider and until that man has signed a contract written on paper agreeing to stay with us and support us if we get pregnant. We started drafting an actual contract and we're planning on sending it to a lawyer to make sure it's legit. At this point, I am completely done with men who want to hook up and leave. It's high time for American men to step up, all caps, so you know he's, like, she's, I, I assume, uh, since she's talking about getting pregnant, only women can do that, uh, step up, all caps, she is 
serious. And actually, there are 27 upvotes, according to the screenshot. Supposedly, 27 people at least upvoted this. Now, the way Reddit works, if you upvote something and someone else downvotes it, that cancels out your upvote. And so also, if they downvoted it and you upvoted it, it cancels out their downvote. So maybe plenty more upvoted and some downvoted, but 27 more upvoted than downvoted. And uh, this is a great idea. A great idea. Whoever you are, anonymous woman whose uh, name is blacked out, good thinking. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. It is high time for American men to step up. Great idea. <laughs> if only we had something to call what you are describing. If only someone else had thought of this. Uh, you know, and as another aside, it's things like this. It's things like this, which persuade me, convince me, leave me with no doubt at all that we are very silly in our day to think that we are so much smarter than the ancients. Uh, we find a thing, we discover a thing, and we're like children who imagine that we invented it. You know, if my wife hands my children a sandwich, uh, she might be able to persuade them that she invented sliced bread. Now, of course, she did not invent sliced bread, but the point is that they will be just absolutely sure if she tells them that she invented sliced bread. And, when, and to be clear, she never would try and convince them that. But uh, that's kind of where we're at, many of us. We've been led astray. We have been lied to. Our guides have swallowed up the course of our paths, as the scriptures say. And they have tried to convince us that they have invented sliced bread when it comes to social institutions as basic as marriage. They did not come up with a better way for us to organize ourselves. No, they were listening to crazy radical villains like Margaret Sanger for the past hundred years, who thought that women needed to be liberated from marriage and having children. Margaret Sanger could think of nothing so awful and repressive as marriage and having children. And she was a villain. She was a villain to beat all, arguably, in the 20th century, not any less because she was a woman. So equal opportunity, you women out there who are just convinced that uh, anything you can do, um, you know, men can't do as well, or anything men can do, you can do better. Uh, Margaret Sanger arguably uh, did one better with regards to the legacies of Hitler and Stalin and even perhaps Mao, if you want to think on a global scale. And all the more, <laughs> all the more uh, long-lasting has her influence been because she wasn't overtly doing the things that she was doing. Her influence was of a more feminine kind. Uh, try as she might to rebel against her being a woman, uh, she had a nature, and her nature was to promote these radical ideas, to take over the world with these radical ideas in a very indirect way. 
instead of head on the way that uh, mustachioed Hitler and Stalin did or uh, Mao, who was monstrous. Mao was monstrous. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But they were far more direct in the way they went about their mass murder. And Margaret Sanger has convinced a century's worth of women through direct and indirect influence that to murder their own children is the height of liberation. In fact, also, she was, if you read George Grant's excellent and short biography of Margaret Sanger, Killer Angel, and I would highly recommend that you do, if you read that, you will find that Margaret Sanger was promoting the ideas which became the sexual revolution of the 1960s decades before. And she was instrumental in almost like a a bee going from flower to flower uh, as a reversal of what is typically thought of with regards to uh, who is the pollinator and who is the uh, pollinated. Uh, She bounced around, flitted around from intellectual to intellectual, important, influential Uh, intellectuals of the early 20th century, and she pollinated their minds with radical ideas that ended up culminating, uh, bearing fruit, uh, evil, evil fruit in the 1960s in what we know of as the sexual revolution. Not only did she wreak unimaginable havoc on a lot of women's ideas of motherhood, She also wreaked as much or more havoc on a lot of women and men by destroying the idea in their minds of marriage as being a honorable, good, worthy, uh, protective, nurturing, happy, holy thing. She made it an unholy thing. She was a wicked, wicked woman. But here you've got this screenshot of, I presume, uh, something that actually happened, and I can imagine it. I have encountered people for 15, 20 years online who are dead serious when they say things like this. They're dead serious. It's not ironic at all to them. They're not being sarcastic. They're not trying to make a point. They're so serious when they say things like this. Well, they think that they have invented sliced bread. And if you were to stop them, and if you were to say, hey, what you're describing is actually marriage, they would look at you with big blank eyes, and they would slowly blink, and then they would argue with you. (laughs) No, 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 I'm not talking about marriage. I'm not talking about marriage. No, but but you are, fam, you are. (laughs) Moving on, the passage I'd like to share with you in this episode, I am not trying to teach you about it, I'm trying to share with you uh, by way of exploring this topic of women, and this is not exhaustive, there are lots of other passages that come into play, but this one is on my mind this morning because I was just recently having a very lengthy discussion with one of the deacons from Fellowship Baptist Church in Sydney, Montana, regarding the very, very sad uh, 
situation with Jordan Hall. In uh, recent weeks, Jordan Hall has lost his pastorate over that church after a long reign of terror, and he has also been removed from Protestia, which is a polemics website, and by polemics I mean uh, essentially a tabloid for all of the worst gossip and rumors and insinuations. Uh, it is a muckraking yellow journalism type uh, outlet online. Uh, Protestia, we suppose, we think, we have good reason to believe, was Pulpit and Pen 2.0, which in the case of Pulpit and Pen, Jordan Hall is the one who started that, also known as J.D. Hall online, also known as Gideon Knox. Uh, but even Protestia, when it came out or came to their attention, it hasn't fully come out publicly just yet, but I happen to know uh, a great deal more than has come out publicly, and I am strongly encouraging accountability because these things need to be known. They are going to come out, and all of creation is naked before the Most High God, so there is no hiding in the long run. These things will be known. All that is secret will be laid bare, rest assured. Uh, but I was talking with this deacon, and he's trying to convince me that Matthew 18 means this is none of my business, and that I'm gossiping, and that I'm a voyeur by getting involved or engaged at all in this uh, question. And at a certain point, I just asked him point blank, uh, are there any other passages that you think apply to this scenario besides Matthew 18? I'm just curious, right? Um, Matthew 18, for those unfamiliar, is where Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, you go to him privately, right? You explain your case to him privately because you're trying to keep this conflict and its resolution as small as possible. And if he listens to you, great. If he listens and he apologizes, he repents, he tries to make things right with you privately, then be happy, right? That's enough. Don't try and embarrass him. Don't try and humiliate him. Don't spread rumors about him. Don't try to destroy him or get back at him. No, forgive him. Forgive him. But if he won't listen to you, if he is stubborn, if he is insisting that he is right, if he's justifying himself, if he's denying the truth, claiming he has no sin, when it's clear that he has sinned, if he's gaslighting you, if he's intimidating you, if he's threatening you, if he's bullying you, if he's trying to do even more heinous, awful things to you because you've just confronted him about his sin against you, well, that's when you escalate. Jesus doesn't say you just leave it alone, you just drop it. No, you come back. You leave and you come back with two or three witnesses and then you try again. And if he still won't listen, we've got two or three witnesses. Ah, oh, you're, you're all just ganging up on me. If he still won't listen, then you take him before the elders of the church. And if he still won't listen, then you rebuke him in sight of, with the knowledge of the whole church. If he is so stubborn that he will not will not be brought to an account at all, ever, for anything. He is just sure that he is always right. He is smarter than everybody. He is more correct. Then you throw him out. 
essentially. You church discipline him, you remove him from fellowship until he is willing to repent. It's kind of like uh, a timeout of sorts. All right, you know what? If you're going to throw a fit like that, you are going to go sit in the corner until you're ready to behave, or you're going to go to your room. Okay, it's kind of like that, a little bit, kind of, sort of. But the idea is restoration. The idea is you're trying to bring repentance. You're trying to soften his hard heart and get him to really think about what it is that he's doing. His sin is very, very serious, and it's hurting the church. It's hurting his brothers and his sisters. It's hurting him, whether he realizes it or not. But I asked Kyle Small from FBC Sydney, I asked him, do any other passages apply here besides just Matthew 18? And never mind for a second that you're choosing and preferring a very, very narrow definition of the church, given how public a figure Jordan has been on the national scene and arguably even the international scene, because it's the internet after all. It is the worldwide web. It is not just the nationwide web, so far as we know. But an interesting answer came out of that conversation with Kyle Small, where he said, well, yes, First uh, Timothy 5 also. And I am not going to get into the details of the rest of the conversation that uh, was had, or what else I know. I know plenty. I actually know far more than I wish I did uh, in some sense, because knowing means that I am responsible, means I need to engage this in some form or fashion in a way that would honor God, in a way that is right and proper. And that can be difficult, especially when it's a mess. But all of that is to say that First Timothy 5 being where, by his own admission, we can look for uh, you know, relevant guidance on how to approach this, I was reading the larger context of First Timothy 5, and I found some interesting things or rediscovered some interesting things or I was reminded of some interesting things. I'm not reinventing sliced bread here, but I want to draw your attention to what the earlier part of that chapter has to say about older women, younger women, and widows specifically. So from the top, starting in verse 1, going all the way down to verse 16, I quote, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith 
and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. End quote. So, <laughs> what do we do with this? Well, first of all, I anticipate in our day and age, speaking of straying after Satan, I anticipate that a lot of hypersensitive feminist women would object to older women being treated like mothers, younger women being treated like sisters. No, 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 no. You're going to respect me. Why do all women need to be valued primarily on the basis of whether they've had any children? I object. That's degrading. Not so fast. Paul is equal opportunity here. He also says that we should treat older men like fathers. Treat them with respect like fathers. Even if they're not your dad, they're someone's dad, possibly. And even if they're not someone's dad, if you show them respect as an older man, you are doing well. If you show respect to an older woman as if she is a mother, as if she is your mother, you are doing well. That is wise and it is appropriate. If we're talking about a younger man, why not treat him like he's a brother? Why not? If we're talking about a younger woman, why not treat her like a sister? And would that change how you orient your advice? How do you give advice to a brother or to a sister? And very often, the advice that I would give to my brother, and I don't have any sisters, but I have sisters-in-law, which is not quite the same thing, by the way. But the advice that I would give to my younger brother is going to come in a very different tone than the advice I might give to some young guy who lives up the street who I don't know from Adam. You know, if I'm giving advice to my younger brother, then I'm going to be thinking about what's in his best interest. What would be profitable to him holistically? I'm going to be trying to think about things that are burdening him or opportunities that he has in a way where I'm giving good encouragement, where he needs encouraged, where I am pointing out things that he might have missed that he should watch out for. Hey, you know, I think something that you might consider is fill in the blank. Now, I would imagine if I had sisters growing up that that would inform the way I 
approach younger women or talk to them, think about them, that would inform, that would have given me some practice and frame of reference for relating to them. But at a minimum, I have seven sons and I have one daughter and I observe as a father does the way that my sons relate to their sister, Evelyn. So I watch the way that they talk to her and the way that they treat her. And I'll just, uh, I'll give you an anonymous example from just last night where one of my sons, who will remain nameless, was standing next to his sister. And uh, let's just say that he, um, he, he may have been a, a bit gassy. And he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know these things maybe without being told them sometimes, uh, but he did not, uh, he, he did not make any attempt to hold back while standing right next to his sister. And then he thinks it's very funny. And I took the opportunity to let him know that, hey, you know what? This is your sister and you should show her more respect than that. You really should. Like, that's not very considerate towards her. You're not honoring your sister when you do that. Don't do that, okay? If that becomes a scenario again, which it doubtless will, uh, please go in the other room or go outside, but please don't do that for her sake and for your sake and for all our sake, right? So when this says here, younger women as sisters, I think this is talking about showing consideration for younger women, showing respect towards younger women, and also insisting that those younger women are treated with respect by others, just like you would insist if it were your sister who was being treated rudely. It is appropriate if your sister is getting picked on and you are her brother, it is appropriate for you to go get in the face of the one who is picking on your sister. Unless it's another woman, in which case it gets complicated. But even there, you should stick up for your sister. And you should have her back. But if it's some guy, if it's some guy who's picking on my daughter, Evelyn, my sons have clear instructions. You engage that guy. And if needs be, you get in his face and you let him know he's not going to treat your sister that way. Period. Right? Don't escalate beyond what is needed, but you stick up for your sister. And so also, I should hope that when we read the rest of this passage, we are not only reading the parts that we like, which affirm attitudes which have been held in common for a hundred years with regards to the respect that women deserve or how they should be related to or how they should be treated or how they should be talked about, how they should be thought about. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when the scriptures talk about women or men or children, we should listen up because our attitudes are not just off kilter when it comes to men. They're also off kilter when it comes to women. So what is it that Paul is talking about here? Honor widows who are truly widows. Well, he proceeds to define it. If a widow has children or grandchildren, 
Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. In other words, if you've got a widow, her husband has passed away, and she has children and grandchildren, those children and grandchildren, first and foremost, should be doing all that they can to provide for their mother or their grandmother. They should be the primary ones responsible for looking after her. She should not be on the roles for the church to provide for. And this is not a point that is obvious to everyone. There are people who are mooches, especially in the ways that welfare uh, has, I think, misled many of us. It was a bribe by Democrat politicians primarily to get people to vote for them. They were buying largesse uh, by taxing our country and then giving us a portion back, giving the poor people uh, especially a portion back. But sometimes poor people are poor because they're lazy. Sometimes it's because bad things happened. They were taken advantage of. They got sick. There was a sudden illness. There was a disaster. Sometimes it was an honest mistake. But sometimes poor people are poor because they're lazy. And if you are enabling further laziness instead of causing them to feel the need to step up, roll up their sleeves and get to it, you are actually not helping them, truth be told. Actually, too, if we're talking children and grandchildren of a widow and they see that the church has already taken care of it, even if they otherwise would have, you have just deprived them of the opportunity to rise to the occasion. They won't see the need because the need is being met. So Paul says, children and grandchildren should take care of true widows, and the children and grandchildren should learn to show godliness to their own household. Which is to say, if they're running off to go and volunteer at the soup kitchen and serve total strangers, but they could have been spending that time helping mom or grandma to fix the leaky faucet, they have got their priorities out of line. They, they, they're, they're, they're mistaken. They're mistaken. Show godliness first to your own household. Now, he continues. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Now, this is talking about she's got nobody, right? Let me, let me translate for you. She's got nobody. She has no one to help her out. She is putting her trust in God and praying for help. And that's all she has. Now, she is a true widow. She is someone to honor and to look out for and to take care of. But then listen to what is said in verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Now, what is this talking about? What is she, <laughs> what is she who is self-indulgent to be marked by? She only thinks of herself. She's alone because she's selfish. She's not alone because her husband became ill or had an accident or was murdered. No, she's alone because she chased everyone else off because she's a selfish monster. And she's dead inside, actually. Yeah, she looks like she's alive, but she's actually dead inside. If this woman wants to be looked out for by the church, not so fast. Hold on a second. Hold on. 
We've only got so much in the way of resources. We've got a woman over here who has truly been left alone, and she is pious and God-fearing, and she commits her requests to God. She is truly a widow. And over here, we have a self-indulgent woman. She has made the bed, and she is lying in it. You don't want to be that second type of woman, nor should the church be about enabling that second type of woman. Paul continues, command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Without reproach is a, an interesting word choice here. Without reproach is also what is said of men who would be qualified to be overseers and deacons in the church. They are, first of all, to be above reproach, without reproach. That is to say, blameless. That is to say, even if someone would accuse them, it wouldn't stick because their character, their way of relating, their conduct is godly and wise and appropriate. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. As in, we, by our relating, bear some responsibility for helping widows to be true widows. If they are widows, we want them to be looked after holistically, not just physically. Also socially, also mentally and emotionally and spiritually, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Now, get a load of this. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So now we've transitioned from talking about women to talking about men. And this is not confused gender language where you know widows can be men, right? Dress in drag, put on a wig, wear a dress, and then you can sign up for some of this tasty charity. No. Who are we talking about now? If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and that word is generic, his relatives. Is this your mom? What are you doing? Are you are you helping her? Are you taking care of her? Is this your grandmother? Have you stopped in to talk with her? Have you asked how she's doing? Have you asked if she needs anything? Or let's say we're dealing with a widow who had no children, had no grandchildren, but she's got a nephew. Hey, have you paid any attention to the condition of your aunt's house? Are you helping her at all? What does Paul say? If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ooh, whoa, that's serious. You are worse. You are worse than an unbeliever if you don't care about the condition of your relatives, especially members of your own household. Now, a scenario possible here, you have a mother who has a grown son or a young adult son who's living with her. She makes sandwiches and he sits around or is just self-indulgent. He's partying all the time, goofing off. No, 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 unacceptable. Or let's say you've got a grandmother. She is living with her son-in-law or her son. That counts. He has a responsibility. He has a responsibility before God. And if he 
denies that responsibility, he's denied the faith, actually. You are no Christian. You cannot tell me you're a Christian, play church, show up, expect to be treated with respect if you are neglecting your mother, your mother-in-law, your grandmother, your aunt. No. Now, so also here, Paul continues, let a widow be enrolled. And this, again, is talking about lists for those widows who would be provided for in their need. The church is going to help these widows in their need, help provide for, take care of their material needs, help them make ends meet. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. Now, let me just stop right there. For one, imagine a scenario in which welfare were not available, were not available to anyone younger than 60. Picture that. I think that would be wise. Oh, are you able-bodied? That's what this is getting at, by the way. Are you able-bodied? Are you able to go out and get a job? Yeah, well, then go out and get a job. You can't mooch off of society. No, 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 no. Enough, enough. And we'll see why here in a minute. Having been the wife of one husband, well, having been the wife of one husband. So, hypothetical, boys and girls, those are the only two options except for men and women, ladies and gentlemen. A widow has been married twice. Her first husband divorced her or she divorced him. She was married a second time. Her second husband dies. Now she wants to be put on the list to receive assistance from the church. Paul says no. Paul says no. No, you will not be enrolled. No. Also, too, even if she was the wife of one husband, he says also she needs to have a reputation for good works. A reputation for good works. Now, why does that matter? Now, think about this with me for a second. Why does it matter that she would have a reputation for good works? Well, for one, this goes back to what's said in the previous paragraph. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. If you're talking about an old woman over 60 who was married several times and she is self-indulgent and she never does anything for anyone else except for herself, that's the meaning of self-indulgent. She only ever thinks about herself. She only takes care of herself. In no sense has she earned it. Now, if we're talking about an older woman who is always doing all she can for those around her, it might not be much, but her widow's might goes to caring for those who are in her circle. Well then, in some sense, even though maybe she wasn't employed by you officially, she didn't sign a contract whereby she would put in 40 hours a week and you would pay her X number of dollars biweekly. In some sense, in the eyes of God, she has earned it. Paul continues, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So raising children, to go back to the point being made in that Instagram post that I read for you at the top of the episode. If she's brought up children, that's a good work, especially if they're decent people. Although if they're decent people, they will be 
the first ones to step up with as much as they are able and then see what's left over after that. First, they should step up. And then if they're still short, then the church makes up the difference. She has shown hospitality. So you're walking by the house. Let's imagine a scenario, if you will, in which my kids are going around the neighborhood asking people if they have any yard work they'd be willing to pay my boys to do. And they come across some old widow, 65, living by herself. No kids, never had any kids. She was barren. Some women, it's not a question of they didn't want children. They wanted children very much. And for whatever reason, the Lord did not bless them with children. And the good Lord knows his reasons, even when we don't. And the reasons are not always that you messed up or there's something wrong with you. Sometimes the reasons are just only known to him. And we have to be content with that. But you're an older woman and my sons knock on your door and they ask if you've got any yard work and it just so happens, hey, yeah, you know what? I do, but I don't have much money. How about I bake you some cookies? And I can tell you for a fact, my sons would jump at that. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what kind of cookies? <laughs> you know, if she's hospitable, she brings them some sweet tea, invites them to sit on the porch, rest for a little bit because it's a hot day. She's hospitable. That's a good work. It's a good work. It says she's washed the feet of the saints. And I think this is talking about humility in a general sense. We don't do this anymore. We don't wash one another's feet because we're walking around everywhere instead of driving, getting dusty sandals and all that. But this is talking about, again, hospitality and being humble and serving. It might not be a full-time job, but it's a gesture. It's the principle of the thing. Paul says that if she has a reputation for good works, one of those good works might be she's cared for the afflicted. So someone's sick, someone is mourning a loss of someone very important to them. This older widow goes and checks on them. Are you doing all right? Are you okay? Is there anything you need? Do you need to talk to someone? Can I pray with you? That's a good work. And again, it's the principle of the thing. It's not about a checklist, but it is about character and whether we are encouraging good character or potentially rewarding and enabling bad character, in which case our help is not so helpful, truth be told. Our help might be very unhelpful, truth be told. But refuse to enroll younger widows, Paul writes, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. Now, oh, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean? What's wrong with getting married? Hold on. Hold on. Settle down. No, but but look at what he says next. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith? Just wait. Okay? Just wait. Now, this is important. This is really, really important. Younger widows? Younger than what? Younger than 30? No. Younger than 60, actually. Refuse to enroll younger widows than 60. Change my mind. Why? Why does he say to refuse to enroll younger widows, widows younger than 60. Because if you do enroll them, they will learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, which is the opposite of being hospitable, by the way, and it's the opposite of washing others' feet. They want to be pampered. They, they make the rounds. They make the rounds because it benefits them. 
They learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers. So they're not just unprofitable in the way they spend their time, their energy, the kinds of relationships they develop. They're also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Now here again, this is, I think, where Kyle Small at FBC Sydney was trying to draw my attention because he was accusing me of being a gossip about the Jordan Hall situation. It is not gossip. When it's someone else's private life, that's one thing. We're not talking about someone else's private life here, to be very, very clear. But also gossips and busybodies. So that's bad, right? It's bad that they're gossips and busybodies poking into other people's private affairs. Now, what would be in this category? Just a question. Now, we're not talking here about some serious sin issue, a known sin, which God's word speaks to very clearly. We're talking about unsubstantiated rumors about trivial things. Oh, did you see what she was wearing the other day? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, that color is just awful on her. Yeah, I think so too. You know what? I think she is blah, 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 blah. To what end? To a profitable end? To a beneficial end? To an edifying end? No. He says, saying what they should not. Why shouldn't they say it? Because it's not profitable. Because it causes trouble. Because it stirs up strife. Because it interferes with people living their private lives, minding their own business, working with their hands, being dependent on no one, as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, maintaining a good reputation with outsiders. Gossips and busybodies are corrosive where that's concerned, trying to exert social pressure to actually take control of their neighbors and their community and their churches, starting whisper campaigns to take control by applying pressure, by creating negative images of people that they don't like until those people either go away or start catering to them. That's how women fight, unfortunately. That's not how men fight, typically. Although, as Matt Walsh asks, what is a woman? We do well to ask, what is a man? As an aside on this question of gossip, it's a very important thing to separate out what is and is not someone else's private business. Mind your own business. Now, what is that not? Well, let's take, for instance, President Biden. President Biden, time and time again, is suspicious, not just by virtue of the decisions that he makes and doesn't make, the things he says and doesn't say, but also those considered in conjunction with his son's business dealings, his brother's business dealings, money and business deals that they have had access to or been given in exchange for influence with Biden. Now, tell me this. If it comes out that the president of the United States is being bribed by the government of China or the government of Russia or the government of any other country whatsoever, he's been bribed to make public policy decisions in a way that will profit the people who bribed him. Is that his private business? Is it gossip to talk about that corruption? If Biden, let's say, 
starts threatening people because he's been bribed or because they might reveal and expose his corruption. If he starts threatening people, actually becomes violent towards them or instructs others to be violent towards them or to intimidate them or to threaten them. Is that gossip to bring that to light, to go fact-finding, trying to figure out, hey, what's going on here? Is that gossip? Is that being a busybody? Well, no, actually, because that's actually not his private business. He becomes a public figure, a leader, and an authority. And all of a sudden, that becomes our business, actually. If things are being made up falsely about him, that's a problem, and slanderers should be held accountable. But if you have, as later in 1 Timothy 5, sets out the qualification or the standard, so also hearkening back to Old Testament standards of how you establish guilt or an accusation or a charge against someone. This is also part of why you take two or three witnesses along with you when you are confronting your brother who is being hard-headed, refusing to listen to just you privately. Every charge has to be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. When you start having not two or three, but hundreds, well then, justice is overdue, actually. We're not talking about gossip and busybody uh, nonsense anymore. And to rebuke somebody who is trying to bring accountability in a situation like that, even if it's in the church, even if it's with an ordained minister, even if it's with a defrocked, formerly ordained minister who is liable to resurrect his ministry somewhere else if he's not held to account in a public way, well then, that is of a separate piece. You can't just accuse anybody who would bring that accountability of being a gossip, certainly not when such actually should be considered in light of your mixed motives, your conflict of interest. This doesn't reflect well on you, FBC Sydney. Now you're trying to cover this up. You're doing damage control. You're still being self-indulgent. You're still only thinking of yourselves. No, but all in good time. And the good Lord, I trust, will handle all as it ought to be handled. But moving on in this passage, 1 Timothy 5, what does Paul say about these younger women? If these younger widows, they're not just younger women, I mean, think here, Ruth and Naomi, right? Ruth and Naomi, I don't know how old they were, but Ruth is a young woman who has married Naomi's son, and then all of the men die. Naomi's husband and her sons die. Now what? And you're in a foreign country, right? You you all moved there and you had each other, but now your husbands have all died and it's just you women. And Naomi has two daughters-in-law and she tells them both, you, you can go, you should go find new husbands. Go on, don't stay around me. Don't waste your time. Ruth refuses to leave her. Ruth is a great example of a fulfillment of what Paul is talking about here. Because not only is she a widow, she is caring for her mother-in-law, who is a widow, and an older widow at that, and has no one. But what does it say here? Paul writes, so I would have younger widows marry. So he's not against younger widows wanting to marry, but 
don't get the charity so mixed up with their faith that for them to leave the charity will mean them abandoning the faith. Marry them off to good godly men. They should get married and they should have children and they should manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. That will protect them holistically, not just materially, but also socially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Also, he finishes off as if to reinforce the point, to my mind anyway, about Ruth and Naomi. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. It's interesting to note as well, it isn't just Ruth who takes care of Naomi. You think about that? Naomi also takes care of Ruth and helps her to find a husband and a good one in Boaz. So this is all to say we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in God's word when it comes to how to think about women. Now I'm speaking as an outsider because I am not a woman. I'm a man. But insofar as I have a responsibility to my wife, to my daughter, to my sons, to help make sure that they have a right perspective about women. And also, insofar as I can benefit you, I would challenge you to rethink the paradigm of the past century, that women are best, most praiseworthy, most laudable, reaching their greatest potential when they are independent women, when they are alone and self-indulgent. We have it backwards. She who is self-indulgent is dead inside. She is dead even while she lives, Paul writes. And women feel this. Once they get to a certain point in their career, they feel this. They feel dead inside. They feel, and we use this word instead of dead inside, unfulfilled. Why do you feel unfulfilled? Because you are missing it. You're missing it. You are missing out, actually. I think the only thing that bothers my wife about not having a career, so to speak, is that our society, by and large, does not honor women like my wife, who is committing herself, not that we are good at it, (laughs) but by God's grace, we're doing better than we would if we didn't try. Can I put it that way? I commit myself to learning to be a good husband and a good father and a good man. And my wife commits herself to being a good wife and a good mother and a good woman. And we're training up these children. And you know what? I don't have any confidence in social security being around. And I don't have any special confidence in a 401k being worth a darn. My cryptocurrencies have tanked, which is sad. But you know what? I diversified my portfolio about, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, when we started having children. There's my investment portfolio. Hmm, what are you buying stock in, Garrett? What are you investing in? Well, I'm investing in my wife, Lauren, my sons, Josiah, Eli, Solomon, Daniel, my daughter, Evelyn, my sons, Enoch, John, and Andrew. It's a long-term investment. Couldn't have done it. Couldn't be doing it. Won't be able to do it but by the grace of God. And yes, with this help meet suitable for me, my wife, Lauren. So without further ado, that's all the time I've got for this episode.
Some food for thought. You're welcome. By the way, with regards to that contract, (laughs) common sense extremists tweeted out a screenshot of from Reddit that I saw on Facebook and you're hearing about on my podcast. Great idea. Let's call it marriage. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.